Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 28 of Anne of Green Gables. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Annie Coleman, www.anniecoleman.com. Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter 28 An Unfortunate Lily Maid. "'Of course you must be Elaine, Anne,' said Diana. "'I could never have the courage to float down there.' "'Nor I,' said Ruby Gillis, with a shiver. "'I don't mind floating down when there's two or three of us in the flat and we can sit up. "'It's fun, then. But to lie down and pretend I was dead? I just couldn't. "'I'd die, really, of fright.' "'Of course it would be romantic,' conceded Jane Andrews. "'but I know I couldn't keep still. "'I'd be popping up every minute or so to see where I was, "'and if I wasn't drifting too far out. "'And you know, Anne, that would spoil the effect.' "'But it's so ridiculous to have a red-headed Elaine,' mourned Anne. "'I'm not afraid to float down, and I'd love to be Elaine. "'But it's ridiculous just the same.' "'Ruby ought to be Elaine because she is fair "'and has such lovely long golden hair.' "'Elaine had all her bright hair streaming down, you know. "'And Elaine was the lily-maid. "'Now a red-haired person cannot be a lily-maid.' "'Your complexion is just as fair as Ruby's,' said Diana earnestly. "'And your hair is ever so much darker than it used to be before you cut it.' "'Oh, do you really think so?' exclaimed Anne, flushing sensitively with delight. "'I've sometimes thought it was myself,' "'But I never dared to ask anyone for fear she would tell me it wasn't. "'Do you think it could be called Auburn now, Diana?' "'Yes, and I think it is real pretty,' said Diana, "'looking admiringly at the short, silky curls that clustered over Anne's head "'and were held in place by a very jaunty black velvet ribbon and bow. "'They were standing on the bank of the pond, "'below Orchard Slope, where a little headland fringed with birches ran out from the bank.' At its tip was a small wooden platform built out into the water for the convenience of fishermen and duck hunters. Ruby and Jane were spending the midsummer afternoon with Diana, and Anne had come over to play with them. Anne and Diana had spent most of their playtime that summer on and about the pond. 
Idlewild was a thing of the past, Mr. Bell having ruthlessly cut down the little circle of trees in his back pasture in the spring. Anne had sat among the stumps and wept, not without an eye, to the romance of it, but she was speedily consoled, for, after all, as she and Diana said, big girls of thirteen going on fourteen were too old for such childish amusements as playhouses, and there were more fascinating sports to be found about the pond. It was splendid to fish for trout over the bridge, and the two girls learned to row themselves about in the little flat-bottomed dory Mr. Barry kept for duck-shooting. It was Anne's idea that they dramatize Elaine. They had studied Tennyson's poem in school the preceding winter, the superintendent of education having prescribed it in the English course for the Prince Edward Island schools. They had analyzed and parsed it and torn it to pieces in general until it was a wonder there was any meaning at all left in it for them, but at least the fair Lily Maid and Lancelot and Guinevere and King Arthur had become very real people to them, and Anne was devoured by secret regret that she had not been born in Camelot. Those days, she said, were so much more romantic than the present. Anne's plan was hailed with enthusiasm. The girls had discovered that if the flat were pushed off from the landing-place, it would drift down with the current under the bridge and finally strand itself on another headland lower down, which ran out at a curve in the pond. They had often gone down like this, and nothing could be more convenient for playing Elaine. "'Well, I'll be Elaine,' said Anne, yielding reluctantly, for although she would have been delighted to play the principal character— Yet her artistic sense demanded fitness for it, and this, she felt, her limitations made impossible. "'Ruby, you must be King Arthur, and Jane will be Guinevere, and Diana must be Lancelot. But first you must be the brothers and the father. We can't have the old dumb servitor because there isn't room for two in the flat when one is lying down. We must pall the barge all its length in blackest Samite.' "'That old black shawl of your mother's will be just the thing, Diana.' The black shawl, having been procured, Anne spread it over the flat, and then lay down on the bottom with closed eyes and hands folded over her breast. "'Oh, she does look really dead,' whispered Ruby Gillis nervously, watching the still white little face under the flickering shadows of the birches. "'It makes me feel frightened, girls. Do you suppose it's really right to act like this?' "'Mrs. Lynde says that all play-acting is abominably wicked.' "'Ruby, you shouldn't talk about Mrs. Lynde,' said Anne severely. "'It spoils the effect, because this is hundreds of years before Mrs. Lynde was born. "'Jane, you arrange this. It's silly for Elaine to be talking when she's dead.' "'Jane rose to the occasion. "'Cloth of gold for coverlet there was none, "'but an old piano-scarf of yellow Japanese crepe was an excellent substitute.' A white lily was not obtainable just then, but the effect of a tall blue iris placed in one of Anne's folded hands was all that could be desired. "'Now she's all ready,' said Jane. "'We must kiss her quiet brows, and, Diana, you say, "'Sister, farewell forever,' and, Ruby, you say, "'Farewell, sweet sister,' both of you as sorrowfully as you possibly can. "'And, for goodness' sake, smile a little.' "'You know, Elaine lay as though she smiled. "'That's better. Now push the flat off.' 
The flat was accordingly pushed off, scraping roughly over an old embedded stake in the process. Diana and Jane and Ruby only waited long enough to see it caught in the current and headed for the bridge before scampering up through the woods, across the road, and down to the lower headland, where, as Lancelot and Guinevere and the king, they were to be in readiness to receive the lily-maid. For a few minutes Anne, drifting slowly down, enjoyed the romance of her situation to the full. Then something happened, not at all romantic. The flat began to leak. In a very few moments it was necessary for Elaine to scramble to her feet, pick up her cloth of gold coverlet, and pall of blackest samite, and gaze blankly at a big crack in the bottom of her barge, through which the water was literally pouring. That sharp stake at the landing had torn off the strip of batting nailed on the flat. Anne did not know this, but it did not take her long to realize that she was in a dangerous plight. At this rate the flat would fill and sink long before it could drift to the lower headland. Where were the oars? Left behind at the landing. Anne gave one gasping little scream which nobody ever heard. She was white to the lips, but she did not lose her self-possession. There was one chance, just one. I was horribly frightened, she told Mrs. Allen the next day. "'and it seemed like years while the flat was drifting down to the bridge "'and the water rising in it every moment. "'I prayed, Mrs. Allen, most earnestly, "'but I didn't shut my eyes to pray, "'for I knew the only way God could save me "'was to let the flat float close enough to one of the bridge piles "'for me to climb up on it. "'You know the piles are just old tree trunks, "'and there are lots of knots and old branch stubs on them. "'It was proper to pray.' "'but I had to do my part by watching out and write while I knew it. "'I just said, "'Dear God, please take the flat close to a pile, "'and I'll do the rest, over and over again.' "'Under such circumstances you don't think much "'about making a flowery prayer. "'But mine was answered, "'for the flat bumped right into a pile for a minute, "'and I flung the scarf and the shawl over my shoulder "'and scrambled up on a big providential stub.' And there I was, Mrs. Allen, clinging to that slippery old